Rooster Tail Talk, a podcast dedicated to everything related to the sport we all love, hydroplane racing. I'm your host, David Newton, and it's time once again, so sit back, relax, and welcome to Rooster Tail Talk. It is February 18th, 2020, and this is episode 22, an interview with Kelly Stockland, part two. Now, last time on Rooster Tail Talk, Kelly Stockland shared some pretty interesting stories about taking the bucket list hydroplane out on Lake Union for the first day of the boating season. Since our last episode, there's been some breaking news from the team, as Kelly Stockland and Bucket List Racing has acquired and purchased the number two hull from the Go Fast Turn Left Racing Organization. Now, Kelly has confirmed that they're going to be racing it at least at Tri-Cities in Seattle this year. No official word if they'll be racing both boats, if that means there'll be a new driver in their camp to race the second boat, and what that exactly means for the team. But that is exciting for the team that they'll get a boat that can potentially cause more of a stir in competition. Go Faster and Left Racing hasn't announced yet if they're still planning on racing. I'm really hoping that they will. Last fall, they did announce that Brian Perkins was leaving the team. I'm really hoping that this does not mean that the team is quitting and leaving the sport. I really hope to see them return this year as well. But I am excited for this episode as Kelly releases some more information about the new racing season and their team. It is middle of off season now. I'm wondering, I see a few things going on out there. Could you talk a little bit about uh, your off season plans, what you've been doing to the hull, and maybe your running gear for the so the fans can know what's what's going on in the bucket list racing shop? Well, to go 150, we had to step on the engines a little bit and make them make a little bit more horsepower, and. Um, and we did that, and when you do that, you find the weak link again. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a couple of things in that gearbox that were unhappy, <clears throat> and I did kill a gearbox really good this year, uh, actually twice, uh, because because we're going a lot faster and and we're we're pushing the boat really hard. And and when you like step up the the propeller. Um, pitches and things like that um, the torque factor goes up and and it was pretty unhappy in there so I'm redesigning some of the things in the gearbox to make it a little bit um, stronger um, and basically we're just doing maintenance I mean um, that boat didn't do much wrong this year that, that that's fixable. I mean, mm-hmm. it's small. If I could figure out how to make it 20% bigger all the way around everywhere, that would sure be a good thing. But, I mean, where do you start and how do you do that? Yeah. We put a bigger skid fin on it. We put a bigger rudder on it, and, and it made a lot of difference. But carrying it through the turns is is really difficult with that boat. Yeah. So yeah. pretty much more of the same. Yeah. Um, it, it's... I, I don't know that it's going to go much faster, you know. We might do a, try and do a straightaway just to see how fast it will oh, go. Cool. Straightaway or something, do yeah. a kilo or something. I don't know. We'll see. That'd be cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that'd be that'd be exciting to see. Yeah. Well, when you're we're looking around your shop, looks like you are making a lot of parts yourself, and I think you make a lot of the parts for and machine a lot of the parts for it yourself uh, for the in-house and for the hydroplane. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, there's no way I could do this if I didn't do most of it myself. It, I just, it's an 
unbelievably expensive to run one of these things, even at the level that I do. And um, there are guys out there that go picking through, you know, everybody's leftovers and stuff like that, which I do too. Um, but the value that I have is I can cut it all down and make it new again because my stuff's all smaller. And so um, I have that advantage. And I make all my own skid fins and rudders and propellers and the gearboxes and, and all the stuff. Um, I like the propeller deal. Making propellers is not easy. It's difficult. It's, it's, it's frustrating and a little bit scary because if you make a mistake, you throw away a very, very expensive part. Mm -hmm. and, um, and the machining is not easy. It's just not an easy part to make. But when you're done with it, it's, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. So um, I'll be making another three or four propellers for my boat, making some new shafts, um, all that stuff. I do make some parts for other people but not too many. Um, if somebody needs something, I'll do it, but um, I don't know. Um, not a lot of people come to me looking for stuff, and that's okay because there's, there's no money in it. You know, there, if I charge yeah. what I had to charge, if I charge shop rate for what I, what I had to make, they, they would not be happy with me. So it's okay. Most of the stuff I make for myself because I have to. I just I can't afford not to. So. Well, yeah. The, looking at that prop, that machine you use to to build the props and cut them down and, and get them to the finished product is uh, pretty uh, impressive. Um, and you've been doing this for a good number of years. I believe you've, you said you did this with Dave Walk and yeah. And, I, and I, w I started out um, machining. Um, for myself, and then I, in between um, race uh, race boat teams, I went into the nuclear industry to help build robotic arms for um, nuclear reactors to check them and do some things, and that's where I really learned the CNC thing, mm -hmm. and um, and about 1997. 96, somewhere in there, Dave called me up and he said, I'm going to work for Bernie. Do you want to go to work in the machine shop? And I said, well, I'll, I'm not going to quit my nuclear job, but I'll do it at night. And so we started um, making <clears throat> propellers and stuff for for the Budweiser project. Mm -hmm. And that was a pretty successful, pretty successful thing. Um, it was it was difficult to learn. Learning how to how to machine a propeller is is difficult. There was a guy named Rich Timfichuk who um, had some experience doing that, and he showed me the ropes uh, to get me started a little bit. Um, and over the years, I've learned a few things on my own. And and um, the design piece of that was was. Um, one part, and that's where Dave and a couple of other guys that he was involved with 
did it, but actually being able to machine them predictably and efficiently was a whole nother process. How do you actually make this thing? And it took a while to figure out how to do it, and we've got it down pretty good now. Um, I should have been doing it for a long time. <laughs> but it's still difficult. It's just not easy to do. It, the material's hard, and there's a lot of it. And the cutters, you know, they don't like what you're trying to ask them to do and stuff. So, yeah. So, anyway. Well, I'm just curious how many props do you think you've made over the year, years? If you've been doing it since 97. Gosh, that's a good question. It's about 23 years then, give or take. At one point in time, Budweiser had a 40 propeller, 4-0 propeller inventory. That's a lot of propellers. Uh, yes. <laughs> now, a lot of those were retired, uh, experiments that didn't work, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But I counted 40 one time. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I might have made certainly more than that. I don't know, hundred, hundred props. Yeah, maybe. You probably don't even want to think about the hours that you spent making those then. <laughs> no, and they weren't all unlimited <laughs> propellers. I made Grand Prix propellers. I made, I made some propellers for the flat bottoms. Mm -hmm. um, I made a lot of propellers for flat bottoms. Uh, we keep those. Those are our propellers. Yeah. Um, and. Um, for our propeller for our runabout project and uh i really don't build i don't know i i think i'm going to build probably eight maybe ten propellers this spring i think i think oh, we wow. ordered i think we ordered well this year it won't be this spring now they ordered way too late okay. just like always um i think we got 12 forgings coming wow okay. i think and I'm keeping four of them for myself. I'm going to new propellers instead of fixing up old ones. Yeah. Um, and then there's a couple of other unlimited guys that want them, and, okay. and we're making some for some of our other guys. So. Okay. Yep. Well, that'll keep you busy right there. That's enough. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, just thinking about your team, the the title, Bucket List Racing. I've always wondered where where did you come up with that title to name your organization well that was one of the things that um, I had to do was um, I didn't want to look like the old gray-haired guy trying to relive my youth even though that's exactly what I was doing <laughs> So the best way I could come up with not being criticized for that was to just flat out admit it, that that's what I was doing. And um, the movie Bucket List. Yeah, I, know, I noticed that poster you have in there. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're standing right there next to uh, Jack Nicholson and... Morgan Freeman out there. Yeah, yeah, my wife did that. She took a picture of that picture right there, as a matter of yeah. fact. The one that my first year they, they took that picture of me and then they they uh 
they uh, they uh, photoshopped it quite a bit. My teeth are a lot whiter in that picture, and there's, they, there's a whole bunch of stuff in that picture that's not reality. Eyes are a whole bunch bluer. Anyway, um, so she cut out that picture and stuck it up there and, and put it up on the wall. That 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 bucket list. But here's the deal about the bucket list thing. Everybody should have a bucket list. I mean, a bucket list, what's a bucket list? It's a goal with a timeline. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. And isn't that how you live a, how you get things done is you set a goal and you put a time limit on it. Right. Well, so everybody, whether you're five years old or 50 or 150 years old, you should have your bucket list. I mean, what am I going to do next? You know, what do I have to do? Am I going to raise my kids right? You know, I mean, am I going to go buy a fancy car? Am I going to go buy a hydroplane? You know, all that stuff, that's, that's a bucket list. I mean, isn't it? So that's where that came from. And um, to be honest with you, a couple of the guys on the team, when I first started, they were they were not in favor of that. They said, oh, they're really? going to think we're a bunch of old guys. And, gee, that, that, that. and I said, well, that's exactly what we are. I'm 60 years old, and I'm going to go be a, a rookie driver for unlimited hydroplanes. I was 60 when I did it. And, I mean, you can't deny that. And so that's where that came from. Um, and it, I think it was received reasonably well. And as long as we don't take it too serious, it's okay, yeah. you know. Um, it's the bucket list racing team. And to be honest with you, I got the youngest crew chief in the whole sport. And he's got a bucket list. He, he's got things he wants to do. So you don't have to be an old guy to have a bucket list. It's just that movie was a bunch, a bunch of old guys and they were out of time. They said, boy, we better get going here. And that's what they did. And that's kind of what I did. Is I, you know what? I'm... I'm not getting any younger, and I better get going. And that's what Sharon said to me. She said, if you've got something on that you want to do, you better go do it, because I'm not going to have you on your deathbed wishing you had do, done something. And and that's where this whole thing got started. Right, yeah. So, Well, you made a good point there. We all, we all have our own bucket lists. Sure. It doesn't matter how old we are. We all have those things we want to do before we don't have time to do them. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, well. And... Um, you know, it, it, that's just where it went. And I don't know where it's going to go from here, but, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll live on for a while. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's cool. Well, that's part of your appeal of your team. Like, you know, you, you, you're, you're honest about it, you, and you do some rather unique things. I think a lot of people uh, love it for that, those reasons. Well, you, you just talked about racing. You raced for a number of years before you let Dustin take over. And before I talk about Dustin, was there? I want to know: was there one any time that you you were racing the the 440 or the 18 uh, as you started out with that uh, got a little hairy out there, a little scary for you? Did you have any scary times in the boat? No. Really? Yeah. Um, I know I wouldn't be able to say that if I did it. So <laughs> well, it, it's not it's not a fear thing. Yeah. It's anxious. Yeah. Um, you know, like when you're waiting for the five-minute gun to go off, that's probably the the most anxious time that I've ever had mm -hmm. um, in any boat is you're waiting for that five-minute gun. Would they just shoot the thing, shoot the gun so that I can get this thing started and get 
doing what I have to do, sitting here doing nothing. Yeah. You know, um, that's probably the most anxious time. Mm-hmm. Um, fear, I don't know. It's not that I'm fearless. You just, you don't, for me, you don't think about being scared. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, no. Yeah. If, if you're going to be scared, you probably shouldn't do it, maybe. I don't know. And a lot of people think this sport's really, really dangerous. But to be honest with you, how many vehicles can you go out in and go 180 miles an hour, crash it, and walk away? Right. So how dangerous really is it? Yeah. I mean, it used to be extremely dangerous, but I think there's been some huge strides over the years. It looks like it's fairly set up now to where we've got it pretty figured out but I mean to me I think the thing's pretty safe um, it, the sport definitely has come a long ways right yep it's the safest that's ever been yep um, only one we went lost one driver in that enclosed canopy I believe that's that true was, yeah George Stratton and uh, that's so before that 1982 was the last uh, person to, to pass away so it's we've gone quite a number of years with uh very little fatalities. Yep, and I'm not so sure that had that crash happened in a different place, he might not have survived as well. Correct. Yeah, that definitely wasn't. I don't think that was a case of enclosed canopy. I think there was a lot of other factors with right. that. That that was very uh, tragic uh, happening, but yes, it was, it was very unique as well. Yes, there's a lot of other things that went into that one. All right. Well, so you got your time in the boat, and you decided. To put someone else in the in the cockpit, how did you um, decide on Dustin? What made you decide that was your, that was your guy? Dustin is probably the most truthful and mature. Uh, boat racers that I've known. Um, he, and what I mean by mature is he's patient. Um, he's not critical. He, he critiques, but he's not critical. Mm-hmm. Um, we, he tells us what he thinks the boat needs to do. He never complains when something's going wrong. The whole world can be coming down around us and he's just, he's just there. And he knows what he has. He's driven that boat accordingly every time. Um, and he he's, his tactical approach is very good for our team. We were in Detroit. An example is we were in Detroit at the Gold Cup, and he comes over to me in the morning and says, everybody's a little antsy. What do you think we should do? And I go, well, you know, uh, last time I checked, you were the driver. (laughs) And he says, well, I'm just going to kind of see how things go. But 
I'm going to make sure that I stay out of people's way because I think there's going to be some mistakes made and you just never know what will happen. Mm -hmm. The next two heats that were run, the only boat that did not jump the gun was us. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> we won that heat. The heat before that, everybody jumped the gun or something, I believe, if I remember correctly. And uh, we had our first heat victory. Um, in competition, we had a couple of victories where we were just the last boat running. <laughs> but. Um, that was kind of fun to have that happen, and that was that's a classic of, of who he was. He is who he is. Mm -hmm. um, when, when we talk about what we're going to do, it doesn't look like we do much different. We always take the outside. We always do the... Well, we're doing other things as well. And again, like I say, first and foremost, we do not want to hamper someone's opportunity for victory. Mm -hmm. And because uh, I expect when... <clears throat> if and when we ever get in a position to win, I don't want someone to get in the way of us unnecessarily. Um, we've had that happen a few times where we would have finished a lot better had someone not done something stupid. Um, there's a few heats out there that you can see that people did some incredibly stupid things out there and uh, took us out, but that happens. And I don't think we've ever done that. Um, Dustin got in the way of of the 12 this in a preliminary heat, and they traded traded a, a bump, but um, it didn't affect anybody too much, and it was it was a radio mistake. Um, but with respect to that, that's about the only time that he's ever done that. Now, yeah. Dustin comes here. Uh, <laughs> the funniest thing was if you look at any of the pictures during um, testing, the first year he drove, the boat was all in gray primer and there was no canopy on it, and you know, uh, or, or uh, engine cover and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. A month before we ran at that testing, I had called him and asked him if he wanted to do it like a month and a half before that or whatever, and I said, he said sure. And I said, well, why don't you come down and take a look at the boat? Well. The boat was up on the jig. We had it all uh, ratcheted down. We we had to, you know, straighten it all out. We built almost like a frame rack for a car where you, we had anchors in the floor and we were uh, doing uh, ratchet straps and stuff to bend the thing back around to get it back straightened out. There was no decks on it. Um, none of the hardware was in it. There was no deck on it anywhere. <laughs> and um, he says... So we're going to run this in a month. I go, yeah, what, what, you know? And uh, he said, okay. And uh, he never said anything. He came down two nights a week, came down every Saturday, just like everybody else. And we got it done and we went out and we ran it. And, um, and that's, that's the kind of guy he is. He, you know, he, he, he didn't say you guys are nuts. He didn't say, you know, this is a stupid idea. I mean, it was it was a long ways away from running when he first looked at it, yeah. and uh, he's been that way all along. He's never never said anything about in, in a negative way, and he's always raced or run the boat according to what he was given. Mm -hmm. 
and he never complained if it was substandard. Well, it shows a lot of his character, like you said, right? Yeah. And that first time he comes to the shop and sees the boat that is not quite a boat, right? It's, it's There's no deck, not all that. But it was it was really fun to see at Seafarer this past year, um, him and his daughter, his daughter's racing J-Stock outboards, and him working with her and 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 seeing her race there at Seafarer and the relationship they have. And just that kind of shows also his character, how, how loving he is and... Greater yeah. father he is, right? Yeah, the little four forty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> little four forty. That could. <laughs> yeah. Yes, um, that's what they call it. Yeah, um, yeah. He uh, he has character that is to be admired. There's no question. He is he is an honorable man. Speaking about four forty, it's a pretty unique number. How did you uh, come up with that one for the for the hall? You started off with an eighteen. Right. So the 18 was the easiest way to get rid of a 13 on a, a number on a boat is to connect <laughs> the connect the, the, the horizontal lines with a vertical line and make it an 18 instead of a 13. And I didn't want that boat to be 13. <clears throat> and um, the, uh, the 18 was to make something out of the 13. And then... <clears throat> It was time to change the the whole image of the boat and make it something other than what it was. Mm -hmm. So we went with orange because there was a Starfire runabout that we had worked on, and was a it's a beautiful boat, and I don't get to race it very much. But Glenn Davis, a dear friend who's now passed on. Um, built it with uh, Dave and Paul and a couple of other guys, a bunch of the runabout guys that have raced Starfires for years. <clears throat> they built this canopied Starfire to kind of be the sister ship to the the uh, 400 um, canopied Starfire that set so many records over the years. And <clears throat> so in their tradition of the way we used to run two boat teams was one boat was the the negative of the other so the yellow boat with orange trim was one boat so the other boat would be orange with yellow trim and because of the canopied yellow boat was that we painted that boat this boat that I drive orange with yellow trim to be to be in concert with that and then came we were trying to figure out a number for it and I used to run the 40 Dave's Cracker Box was the 40 in, in Unlimited Light I ran the 40 um, Dave's Cracker Box was the 40 the Bartol was the 40 yes um and the yellow boat was the 400. So we went 440. And it rolls off the tongue kind of nice. Yeah, and so does. that boat was the SS 440 in the Superstock class. Well, that boat's here. It's the trophy in the shop. It's actually in my, in my uh, enclosed trailer right now. But when I'm not making a bunch of dust, it's out here in the, in the shop. And we were 
working on the hydro and looked over at that and said we should paint it that color and give it that number so we're we're starting a fleet of, <laughs> of, of boats <laughs> and um and so we picked a really nice color of orange called tennessee orange and we painted it and and that's how it all happened and, and it's kind of in remembrance of of glenn glenn davis was an incredible man and uh I learned a lot from him, and everybody that knew him in boat racing learned a lot from him, and, and I miss him a lot. Well, I knew that there was some significance there, and I'm glad to hear and share your story with that. And it's one thing I love about hydroplane racing is a lot of the teams can have their own unique personalities with the boats, the looks, and the you know everything with it. And that's one thing you've really done a good job with, I think, with having the bright orange, the unique number, the name. Um, just having the different characteristics with that. So I think uh, as a fan, that's one thing I love about the sport and how each team can just look so different. It's not like car racing where there's one or two bodies out there and maybe different colors, but it's just very unique experience. We try to keep our profile unique to everybody, and ours is. Um, and that will be the... <clears throat> that's the... the <laughs> So the air intake on that thing, the scoop. It's, it's kind of smoking Joe's out. It is smoking Joe's. Yeah. What we did was the air intake on the thing before was hideous. It was awful. <laughs> and I never got a, I never had enough time to fix the air intake on it. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why that thing went faster was we were choking the engine off. No. The amount of air that we were getting into it wasn't enough. Okay. Um, so we we did a couple of things. I know we run a we run a air and take off the thing that's a simulated shape that's out of one of the helicopters, the piece that bolts onto the front of the mm -hmm. engine, um, and that channels the air in a lot nicer. And then that air intake is is significantly bigger than the one we had. <clears throat> And that was part of what made the thing go a lot faster, was just giving the engine enough air. Mm -hmm. um, but the lower piece of the engine cover has always been on that boat from day one, and that's just a shape that was built by Dale, the Van Weer engine. Mm -hmm. And Taylor, my crew <coughs> chief, and I, we go out to... Mike Jones's place to go find a shape. I tell him I'm going to go find a shape to for a no air intake. Mm -hmm. And he goes, okay, you know, and he doesn't know what I mean by that. <laughs> and um, we start picking through all the stuff that's in the trash pile out there at Jones's place, Mike Jones's um, boneyard. And I find the old smoking Joe's. The, um, the molds? No, the part. Okay, the part. Okay. And it. I don't know what that thing weighs. I, they must have had to use a crane to put it on the boat. It was unbelievably heavy, and it's huge. It's big. And I said, this is the shape we're going to do, and here's how we're going to section it, and I want you to build a, build a piece off of this. And Anyway, he, he did not understand what I was trying to explain to him to do, but it turned out pretty good, yeah. and we got it to fit, and it's all cut down, but it is basically the Smoking Joe's air intake put on okay. put on our bottom cool and um, 
and it helped the boat a lot, and it made gave it a little bit different look. Yeah. I think I think the Smoke and Joe's one was just too big. Right. It was really massive. It was. It and, was. And then the um, the tail feathers are <clears throat> a, a lot different shape than mm -hmm. what anybody else runs. Oh, definitely. And um, that's something that I intend to keep uh, forever. We're gonna put a bigger rear wing on it. Oh, that's one of the changes. I'm building a, a bigger rear wing. A delta wing? No, the, just <laughs> joking. No, yeah. No, just a bigger rear wing. We need we need more wing on the back. Okay. Um, so we're gonna do that and extend out the fairings a little bit, just because the wing's gonna be mm -hmm. longer. Four and a half. Okay. It's gonna be longer. Okay. So. Okay. Well. Um, other than that, it's. it's and making parts. Thus concludes part two of the Kelly Stockland interview. Next week, we will conclude the interview trilogy with talk about each one, Kelly's involvement with the organization, and Kelly's thoughts on the future of the sport. Make sure you come back next week to listen to our next episode. We release new episodes every Tuesday at 5 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your podcast player, as well as rate and review your experience. For more updates on Hydro News, check us out on social media. We're on the major players, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Rooster Talk is also online with our website, www.roostertailtalk.com. On the website, you can sign up for an email subscription list to get notifications on upcoming episodes, Hydro News, podcast updates, and much, much more. Finally, this is a free podcast to all of our listeners. And if you're really enjoying your experience and want to help us to continue to grow and expand, please donate. You can find a link to donate through PayPal on our website through the support tab. So until next time, I hope to see you at the races.